everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. episode of we're not wizards my name's richard i'll be your host for march because uh you know it's just time's going on so fast at the moment it's just it's just uh it's like days and hours and minutes they're just i don't know if they've removed seconds from the minutes or something like that it just seems to be kind of trundling along don't you think it's just trundling along so time is of the essence for a lot of things but i think for my guest this evening, time is very, very much of the essence because in approximately kind of like a month from now, by the time this recording goes out, this uh, this gentleman will be responsible for potentially staring over, you know, potentially tens and hundreds of entries into the kind of the into the competition which is going to be closing on the twenty first of April. That gentleman is by the name of Chris Anderson and he is involved in the Board Game Workshop Design Contest and he also runs his own podcast, so I feel officially on trial. So, <laughs> hello Chris. Hello Richard, thank you for having me. No, it's, um, I'm, uh, I've been looking forward to this actually, we've been, we've kind of planned it. It's one of these strange things, it's been, um, it's not been planned that long. It's actually, it's not like my usual thing where we talk to somebody for like years and then eventually they kind of turn up. It was a relatively kind of quick turnaround process. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm shining my nails on my, on my lapel at the moment. I'm quite, I'm quite kind of pleased with myself for how this kind of turned out. But, um, you know, this is not about me. This is all about you. So how are you, sir? Are you well? I am doing well. It's uh, been busy times getting the contest ready and Mm -hmm. also designing and Getting ready for a convention, which I'm leaving for on Thursday morning. So it's uh, it's been very busy lately. <laughs> so better. Um, have you done your ironing then? I mean, have you I done? I haven't even wa- done the laundry you, yet. Is, you've not done your big go. wash. You've I not done even your finished big working wash. on the games that I'm bringing to the convention. So there's there's a couple of weeks left of work to get done tomorrow. So this is what I mean. There's 57 seconds in a minute now. I mean, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely <laughs> that feels is, that, that way. is what that is definitely. You know what happens. We're obviously we're going to touch on about the competition itself, but before we do that, we we need to take a step back because we want to have find out a little bit more about your history in the hobby. So we're going to have a look at the kind of the the, the white paper and biro pen of the past. We're going to stare at the prototypes of the present before we look at the the final manufactured box version of the future. So do you want to do you want to tell us? Just stick with me on this, Chris. Otherwise, you'll get lost. Do you want do you want to tell us how you got into the hobby, good sir? Sure. So, um, I've been playing games my entire life. Like growing up, Candyland and mm-hmm. 
Monopoly, probably pretty young. My family always had board games around. I have two younger brothers, so we would always have whatever mass market board game came out. And we played lots of just the weird little kid stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents would always have a game night with the family, and they would play like Trivial Pursuit and Pictionary. I always wanted to join, but I was too young. When I was finally yeah. old enough, they're like, well, we're going to stop having game night. So that's how that goes. But <laughs> um, as a kid, me and my brothers played, we played a lot of Monopoly, played a lot of Pictionary. We played a lot uh-huh. of Hero Quest and a lot of the farming game. And the farming, the farming game. A, the f- oh, it's a really interesting game? thing. Imagine Monopoly. Yeah. It was about farming and way more in depth than mean. You have to get options to buy a tractor, and if you have a tractor, your neighbor can use it, and you get some money, and you harvest things. It's it's still in print, apparently, and I think about getting a copy, but I know that it's not going to hold up to the nostalgia of it. Same with HeroQuest, although that's nowhere near as cheap. <gasps> oh, you lie about HeroQuest. <laughs> you watch your mouth, young man, when you bring my, in HeroQuest. My HeroQuest was thrown away, so it's a, it's a sore point. Your HeroQuest was thrown away? Get... Yeah, we had HeroQuest in the, two, the first two expansions. And you threw them away? I didn't throw I them should away. really They're be asking questions. And he was cleaning up, and uh, but that was before I got I into should, the hobby. I know, but you know, I should be asking questions about people. You know, to say before they come on the show is like a preliminary question: Have you ever owned, owned Hero Quest? What happened to that copy of Hero Quest? And then if people say they threw away that copy of Hero Quest, I have to ask some serious questions if I want that person no, on the show. You know, I'm very sad it's gone. Actually, that's I'm the sure first time are. I found um, Board Game Geek. That's kind of, so I very, I slowly shifted in the hobby. I started playing Magic in middle school, so like 90, mm. 96, and I played Magic for a long time, yeah. and it's kind of board game adjacent, and again, like played Monopoly, played Hero Quest with my brothers, but it wasn't, it was still a slow thing. I started playing Race of the Galaxy with some Magic friends, but I wasn't aware of the hobby. They're just like, oh, here's the game, and I knew that games existed, so we would, yeah. I would just play with them. I really loved Race for the Galaxy. I never understood the rules. I would win a lot, though. So it was enjoyable. <laughs> and then it um, it was one day, one of my magic friends, who I'd known for a while, and said, oh, you want to come over to his friend's house and play some board yeah. games? I was like, sure. Sounds like fun. So we played Eclipse. I had never played Eclipse before. I had never played oh, a game word. anywhere near the level of Eclipse before. I fell in <laughs> love with Eclipse immediately. The elegance of that game... Where you, like the way you move pieces off to increase your taxes and your income, and just the way it gets a massive game, like it is a huge game, into yeah. a relatively compact time frame compared to what it is. It's like it's not TI three, but um, I just fell in love with it there, and I was like, I could probably make something like this, and that's so I got <laughs> into the hobby basically that day, wow, and into the hobby of design at the same time. And also, I decided, oh, how can I start learning about board games? I'll see if there's any podcasts. And that's when I got addicted to podcasts. So all of that happened, like, the same week in April 2014. So Your, jour- your, your journal must have been full. It was, it was a very busy month. <laughs> I just imagine, because most people are looking at, like, well, you know, kind of went swimming, you know, chilled out a bit. You know, it's like, no, I discovered the predetermined future of my entire life that week. It's like, all right, okay. What yeah, it's, I mean, it's taken over. What was so wonderful about Eclipse? Because I, I know of people that can be a bit snobby about it and say, well, it's not, you know, it's not Twilight Imperium. It's like it doesn't take 11 hours and kind of like, you know, 
300 calories to play the game you know it's kind of like I have you know so I've heard that kind of thing but I have heard people that are champion it in the corner and I know that it kind of it came to Kickstarter quite recently on a reprint for Colossal Games I believe and it did quite well kind of on that did you re-back it on Colossal when Colossal released on Kickstarter? My friend got the original I Uh The thing is, I'm never going to get it to the table myself. My friend has his copy with the expansions and all the extras, yeah. and yeah. I'm honestly never going to play without that friend, so there's no point in me backing it, although I really wanted the new version. But I have yeah. the app on my iPad, which is a great app. It's a really clean implementation. You can get like a three-player game against the AI done in half an hour. But, so I stick to that, but I, the new version looked great. I really did want it, but I can't, can't justify that. Yeah, I mean, it was quite... I think it was quite expensive. Was it not well over into $100 or something like that? Oh, I can't I seem to remember kind of looking at that. And there was also like a, like a, as you get nowadays, like a deluxe version where, you know, they kind of gold plate things. And, you know, I'm only joking. I'm obviously kidding about that. But, you know, there seems to be kind of like deluxe versions of a game where the deluxe version isn't always, it doesn't add an awful lot more to the game because you can't add an awful lot more to the game with a deluxe version if you know what I mean you can only yeah. add gold leaf to the figures you can only kind of upgrade the you know you know upgrade the components to resin stuff with diamonds you can't effectively <laughs> say okay we're going to add in an additional mechanic that, cha- that changes the game because otherwise that would that would effectively kind of ruin your kind of kickstarter campaign but yeah i think the original you... one they just did extra um, they did extra ships like yes. the, the base game was the boring ships, and then you got the good ships if you went yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, um, friend of the show, Frank West, who did City of Kings, he's a huge fan of Eclipse. And he says, oh, we, we used to kind of like, um, we used to get people kind of coming round, and they would have like, we'd have lunch, and we'd set, you know, we'd set the game up at like nine o'clock in the morning. We'd play through. We would, you know, we'd chat, and people would come back, and they would take their turn, and then people would have their lunch, and then they would, you know, the entire game would probably take an entire day to play. But we had kind of like a, a kind of a good leisurely time, kind of playing on it. Um, so they had kind of like a lot, a lot of fun. It's a game I um I'd be interested in playing again. For me, it's always a little bit of a time, a time commitment. But did that. Playing that game, did that sink you down the lines of wanting to design a particular style of game? And was the first games that you were looking to design, was it kind of like Eclipse-like? Were you looking to design something of that elegance and kind of grandeur almost? So, kind of. There's definitely a massive influence from Eclipse because I hadn't really played anything else. Like I said, I grew Hmm. up playing Magic, which... Magic has instilled in me a love of very detailed rules that can work at the tournament level. So whenever I'm writing rules, I'm like, I have to cover every single edge case. And it's very time consuming. But mm-hmm. the uh, the first thing I tried to design, imagine kind of like Risk meets Eclipse, but very, very slow. <laughs> it was so bad. It was such an absolutely terrible design. I spent... A lot of time writing it up and coming up with rules and there are all different factions and you could build your buildings and your ships and travel around and have this war. And then I finally, after spending weeks writing the rules and building the prototype, not having tested a single thing yet, I finally get to play it. 
After 45 <laughs> minutes of not even running into my opponent because the board was too big and everything moved too slowly, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is actually really, really bad. And uh, I kind of abandoned that, went to my next design, which was Space Station Disaster, which I released the yeah. print and play and got got some traction on. Some some people printed out and enjoyed it. That's a much lighter, family-friendly, like, half-hour tile-laying card-collecting game, which I would like to get back to and finish. I don't consider it done. But mm-hmm. uh, from there, I just got hooked and just keep coming up with game ideas. And, like, coming up with game ideas is really easy. You can have, like, 100 a week, but you can't work on 100 a week. So a lot of stuff falls by the wayside, and you work on a project, and then you get sidetracked. And I tend to not finish things, so it's uh, it's a very busy hobby. Are you? I mean, are you the type of person that if you know your workstation is covered in post-it notes, or there is a spiral-bound kind of notepad, which you know you have several of them, and depending on what what page you flick to, there's kind of like a different kind of. Some of the things are just like a three-line synopsis of what the game is. The other thing, you've actually drawn out some of the components and what the kind of the board looks like. Is that kind of how you, how you would kind of how you would kind of generally work? Are you? So I, I keep it all digital, so it doesn't take oh, up right. as much physical space. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I started um, originally. I was just keeping notes on my phone, and then when I was on like my third note file with hundreds and hundreds of lines of text. I was like, I should probably organize this in some way that is not just one single long note. So I started uh-huh. using um, this website called Airtable that does databases online and like saves it in the cloud and stuff and you can set it up. So I set up a thing mm-hmm. on that. So now I throw ideas in there and just usually write down a quick blurb about the idea and a couple tags about like what kind of mechanics or theme it has. Um, and that's great for getting the ideas down. But yeah. I almost never have time to go back to them because, like I said, you have 10, 20 ideas a week and you can't work on any of them because you're still trying to finish the one you had two months ago. And then uh, I'll build up anything else, just write up a Word document about it and keep updating that, write out the rules, eventually get to prototyping. Um, I don't like to hand draw or hand write stuff because I'm very bad at writing and drawing. So I'll do basic graphic <laughs> okay. design on my computer, which yeah. probably takes a little longer than hand drawing it. but the the ability to replicate it and have like even grids and stuff is just much nicer to me. So and then no, step uh, by step. Yeah. Have you I mean, do you go for a particular kind of mechanics then, or will you play about with different mechanics? Will you have do you have like an entire section where it's just like worker placement? Like, you know, dr- you know, direct deck drafting, set collection of you do you are you that meticulous and kind of you just draw them down into kind of like different mechanics and um, when you're kind of doing the design stuff? I mean, I'll, I design from an idea first. So depending mm. on what sparks it, usually it's podcasts. Like I said, I'm addicted to podcasts. I listen to mm. far too many. Um, <laughs> but um, so they'll inspire me. Like someone's talking about a game, a game I've played or a game I've never played. And they'll make some comments yeah. like, oh, I've never seen a deck building pirate game. I'm like, oh, a deck building pirate game. That's a thing. <laughs> and then you have an idea about that. You write down a note. Maybe it turns into something else. And then whatever, write down, then it iterates and iterates and iterates. And before you know it, there's nothing about deck building or pirates. But eventually yeah. you have some game. So it's I'll go all over the place. I like to play pretty much everything as long as it's not tedious. Which that's my big thing is I like elegant games. I think that was the whole thing with Eclipse that grabbed me so much was it was just it played so smoothly for what it is. Yes, it's a multi-hour table hog of a game, 
but it's a smooth yeah. multi-hour table hog. Yeah. Do you then find that um, what's your view? I mean, do you do you kind of then if you're all constantly thinking about ideas for games and you try to constantly develop them? Do you then make sure that you're still getting time to actually sit down at the table and play games as often as you can? Or does that does that get sacrificed a little bit? Oh, that gets sacrificed a lot. I almost never play published games. I have usually three playtest meetups a month. So I'm uh-huh. playing lots of prototypes with my groups, which is great. Yeah. And when I go to conventions, I'll play some published games, but also make a lot of time for playing prototypes with my friends or demoing stuff I'm working on. So mm-hmm. I play much more unpublished games than published games, which I keep buying the published games. So that's another thing I got to <laughs> try and work on for space and <laughs> cash limitations. But yeah, I, I have this I hope think... that I'm going to play those games. I th- I, th- I think you're, um, I don't think you're alone nowadays. I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of games coming out all the time. And I wonder if, I wonder about the whole value versus price thing because there's a lot of games that people are kind of like they're spending $50 on a game but they're maybe only getting it to the table once and they're maybe only playing it for like two hours so it's actually cost them 25 bucks an hour to sit down and get to play the game and play that and I've seen a lot of people recently say no I'm I'm cutting back I'm or they're not cutting back or they're they're going into the cupboard and they're they're holding on to the games that are important to them for nostalgia reasons because they trigger memories but they're getting rid of other games that they bought at the time because they felt they had to owe them, otherwise they'd be missing out, kind of thing. And I've seen a lot of people, kind of, I've seen very popular games ending up kind of on culling lists for people, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of it for me personally has to do with this hope. Like you see a new game, it looks exciting. Mm. I love that theme, I love that mechanic, I love that art. The designer's a friend of mine. Like, that's great. I love everything about that. I'm going to enjoy that game. Hmm. And I hope I have time to play it. And you just don't. It shows up, you know, six months to a year later. You're like, oh, right, that game. That's great. I have 400 others that I haven't gotten to yet. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you run out of shelf space and you start giving away games in your game design contest to try and save space. Yeah, do you find that? Do you find that um, the kind of the perceived value of a game is is kind of slipped so far down the, the scale that you don't really, it doesn't really matter to you if you do end up kind of gifting it to somebody or, you know, for myself personally, I have kind of dropped games around at the local kind of, you know, thrift store kind of charity shop just because I'm kind of like, well, I could keep it, but I know it's never ever going to probably get played or I have played it once or twice and there's a reason that I haven't gone back to it again in six months Whereas there are games that I'm kind of like, well, I'm playing this all the time, but the reason I'm playing it all the time is because it's really kind of grabbed me and it's really want to, it's giving me the impetus to go back and kind of play it again, you know, kind of again and again and again. Um, do you then find that with you constantly working on games that are play tested, do you, and with you obviously keeping your toe, toe in the hobby, do you ever see kind of like the two kind of mingle in terms of mechanics when people are talking about, you know, if people are talking about root, you know, you're kind of like find that sometimes mechanics from games that you're play testing, it's like, oh, well, this is just like this game that's come out that's been published. Do you ever find like a cross pollination between those two things? You're sometimes play testing something that's kind of, it's kind of currently very, very hot and very, very popular. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, there's tons of overlap. There's so many games coming out now, it's hard not to hit overlap. I know there was a game I was working on. It was uh, you're grabbing different wooden bits out of a bag. And the whole thing was mm-hmm. it was like a speed race to try and, like, first one to get five medium cubes out. And in the bag, there's small cubes and large cubes and cylinders. And it's, you know, it's a mm-hmm. tactile speed game. And uh, I was designing for a game crafter contest and then going through and playing it. People were like, oh, yeah, this worked really well. I was going to add a theme of, like, robots on it and try to get pieces. And then mm-hmm. I went on Target and we see this game called The Sock Game, which is a bunch mm-hmm. of random items in a sock that you have to pull out really fast. I'm like, oh, well, that's that's already been done. I can stop working on that. <laughs> so it's it happens in... In lots of ways, like sometimes you see almost your exact idea done faster or better, or sometimes worse, but quicker. So mm-hmm. if it's too similar, it doesn't really matter if you're better. If you're the second one to market, everyone's going to look like, oh, well, you know, you're just kind of doing the same thing. But um, yeah, yeah. In, in the wider way, there's also just finding the right mechanic for a game. Right now I'm working on an auction game called Comic Auction, where people are auctioning off comic books. And I was trying mm-hmm. lots of different systems for the auction and the economy and try. And one of the biggest problems I was having was people needed a way to get more money in the game. Like they were spending all their money on an auction and then just sitting yeah. there till the end to score, which while maybe the right choice was a really boring choice. So, mm-hmm. and then um, I've been playing the game Neuheimat, which has been recently re-released as the Estates, which yeah. if anyone's familiar with it, has a closed auction where the auctioneer is the one who gets the money or they can pay the person, the high bidder for the piece that was auctioned off. So I took that auction mechanic and put it in the comic auction and it's worked incredibly well because it adds this wonderful tension to every auction where you can be bidding up to try and get someone else to bid higher or you can be bidding up to get it or you can be bidding up because you think (laughs) the auctioneer will pay you for it. So you're like, oh, $5 for that pile of comics. And they're like, um, no, I don't care. And then, you just paid five dollars for comics you don't want, so it's yeah. it worked really well with that, and it's smooth and keeps keeps the economy flowing. So even if you run out of money, it's just until your next turn, you're almost guaranteed to get some money. Do you um, with games like that? Do you find yourself kind of looking to kind of enter in kind of design contests yourself? I mean, are you have you entered into like say cardboard Edison and competitions like that in terms of your designs? So I I used to. I entered Cardboard uh-huh. Edison once. I entered uh-huh. a couple of the Button Shy contests, which actually got something published and uh, started my relationship with Button Shy, which is mm-hmm. a whole other sector of my game design. But um, yeah. I did some Game Crafter contests, and I was, I was very big into contests for a while, uh, to the point where I was doing so many contests that I couldn't ever work on a game. I would work up 80% of a game for the contest, submit it, it wouldn't win the contest, and then I'd start another game for another contest, and I'd never go back and finish things. Uh, yeah. So I had a lot of partially finished designs piling up. So I finally, just for scheduling reasons, slowed down, like, okay, I can't be entering all these contests. And then around that time, I started, like, I was more into the industry. Industry, I knew more people. So mm-hmm. then I started judging contests. So I actually, I judged the Button Shy contest last year. I've judged... For Cardboard Edison this year, I judged for uh, Boston Festival of Indie Games. And then uh, it was that experience judging that made me think, oh, I could probably host my own contest. That can't be too mm-hmm. hard. <laughs> was it, I mean, was that 
was that the kind of where they they encountered the entire genesis for the kind of the competition? So that kind of that came was around. that was the background idea. How uh-huh. I how I generally work with a lot of things is I will just I'll think about it for a while. Like oh, that's a thing I could do in the unnamed future, and then yeah. very suddenly, like on the spur of the moment, I'm just I'll just do it. Like, same thing happened when I bought a car a couple of years ago. I'm like, oh, I could buy a car. You know, I got some money. And then one day I'm like, I'm just going to go buy a car today. And I just went and bought a car. <laughs> and then I had a car and all that debt. And now I'm a car owner. But same thing happened with the contest. I was, it was August of last year. I, so for my podcast, Board Game Workshop, I release an episode every two weeks. And then I alternate yeah. between roundtable discussions, which are like live guests with me. And then the other ones are... Uh, contributor episodes where I just have people send in stuff, which the original plan for that was it'd be less work for me. But it turns out that organizing a bunch of contributors is just as hard as getting guests. So <laughs> yes, still a is. lot of work, yeah. but yeah. Uh, but less talking. But um, so it was early August. I had an episode that I had to post the next week. I did not have guests. I did not have a topic. So I was like, oh, I could announce the game contest that I had not really planned out at all. <laughs> so it was... From that idea to actually announcing it on the podcast, I think, was one week. And I had wrote up a blog post about it in between that. So once I wrote the blog post, that's when I committed. I had said to the public, I'm going to have a game contest. So I really had to get the rules out really fast. <laughs> and uh, I announced it. And then, so that was, I think, August 8th was the announcement. Yeah. And then the um, round one submissions were going to be due mid-September. And okay. then I just started asking people if they want to be judges. And surprisingly, people said yes. I think I think in the end, after getting judges and then judges running out of time and having to back out, I think we ended up with 69 people that actually sent in judge forms and 87 submissions, which I was not expecting 87 submissions. I was thinking 40 would be great. I was offering cash prizes to the finalists. Because I figured I'm a small podcast. I'm not very well known. I don't know yeah, how much of a yeah. draw this is going to have. So I should have some cash prizes. It was mm-hmm. based It was based a lot on the Cardboard Edison Award as far as being an open contest without any sort of design restrictions. Um, and then just worked on having the contest. And it was it went surprisingly well. The uh, feedback system worked well. Everyone was very happy with the feedback they got, even in round one, if they didn't make it to round two. We did a, yeah. a three-round system, so well, I said 87 entered round one. Round two, we cut to the top 30, which was a mistake. 30 is a, actually a lot of games to deal with. And then That's it was a lot the top of games five. to play. Yeah, so round one is just a two-minute pitch video. So it's mm-hmm. one of my main goals with, like I said, I had judged the other contests. And while they're great contests and they give a lot of great content, as, as a judge, it was a very big time commitment. You're looking at like watching a five to 10 minute video, reading the rules. Uh, maybe they send a print and play that you are expected to look at, but not necessarily play. But it takes mm-hmm. it takes a good amount of time to judge just one submission. So you need to get a bunch of judges and each judge needs to commit to doing like 10 or 20 things. And then you have to get more judges on. You're like, okay, we need like 50 more judge forms done in a week. So anyone got some time? And I was like, this, this is a lot of work for the judges. So my goal, again, being a new contest i didn't want it to be hard for the judges so like i'll do two yeah. videos 
and that's it. You got to watch the video and then did like a short description just so people know which videos they want to watch. And then you mm-hmm. fill out a really short form. It's like rating one to five and give a couple lines of feedback. And it worked really well. The A lot of the entrants felt that the two minutes was really tight and they wanted just give me three minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes. But the two minutes, I think, is really important for letting the judges get through a lot. So for that first year, we ended up having two judges, uh, Calvin Wong and Anna Maria Jackson Phelps. Um, they judged all 87 in round one. Anna Maria actually judged all 87 in round one, all 29 in round two, and all five in round three. So she judged every game in every round, which I didn't wow. even get anywhere near that. I think I did 13 the first round and... Yeah. One in the second round. But um but yeah, I think the like really streamlined it so it was really easy for judges. And my goal this year is to refine that, which so I've made the judging the judging process pretty similar, it's still a two minute video. And it's takes about five minutes to judge an entry. So if anyone is interested in being a judge and you have five minutes free from yeah. May first to June twenty eighth. You can be a judge. That's all it takes. Go to theboardgameworkshop.com and you can find out more. But um, yeah, so it's it started from me not having an episode ready and now I'm on year two of a massive amount of work organizing this thing because my, my reaction to not being ready to do something is make more work for myself. <laughs> it sounds like you kind of announce something and then you realize, oh, I kind of need to to do this now kind of thing it's a real it's incentive like, saying you're going to do something and then yeah. you have to do it because you told people what do you do in terms of feedback because so, one i mean one of the things that people ask i mean i guess when people design a game they get it played with themselves they play it with their peers they play it with their family they take it to the local group and then they decide, you know, they've got something, so they run it to a competition like yourself. Does it depend the round that they get to? Does that decide the kind of the level of feedback that you give that you give to these people? So there's three rounds, and each round you're going to get more feedback if you continue on. So the first mm-hmm. round is the two-minute video and the short description. So the judges don't have a lot to go on, depending on how you make your video. We had... Yeah. We had 87 submissions, and they ran the gamut. Some were just a person talking to their phone. Others were like a fully produced animated like commercial for the game. Um, neither of those ended up winning. It was stuff in the middle because people do dig in, and they're looking, they're looking for good content. They're looking for interesting things. Uh, the way I have the judging set up, it, it focuses on innovation and elegance. So if you're yeah. doing something new and exciting, and you're doing it smoothly... That definitely gives you mm-hmm. more points than just yeah. like even if you're doing something that's really well produced, if it's just the same old thing that we've seen eleven times before, it's not going to score as highly. Um, but the, so the scores are based on just strict one to five ratings in a couple of different categories like innovation and elegance. But the feedback is just an open written feedback from the judge. Um, for round one, we ask that they give at least two sentences of feedback. Uh, some people just give two sentences of feedback. Other people write paragraphs and paragraphs. And it also fluctuates how interested they are in the game. Um, we get some judges that see a game that they really think has potential, but they think you have to fix X, Y, and Z. And they'll tell you, you think you have to fix X, Y, and Z. Or they'll suggest changes to it, or they'll just 
sing the praises of it and how great it is. And they've wanted this theme forever and they really hope you produce it. So at the round one level, it's, it's pointing out some obvious things. It depends on how well you present your game, how good your feedback is. But I think a lot of it is it's good ideas for your game, plus a lot of support. Um, almost all of the feedback was positive and saying, I really like this. You should keep working on it or I yeah. can't wait to see this. So if nothing else, it's really an ego boost to get that kind of feedback from judges. And a lot of the judges are, some are publishers, a lot are designers, a lot are reviewers. So I try to get people in the industry, although I don't stick to just big names in the industry. I'm, especially this year, I've opened up judging a lot. So we're up to 138 judges now. 139 yeah. if you want to sign up, Richard. Oh, I will. So, 139 there you judges. Go. You've, got me, you've got me recorded saying <laughs> I'm going to do this. Like I said, it's only five minutes. but So it's a good mix of people. But they're all interested in <laughs> so games. Say we all. Yeah. So they they all yeah. have they all have a perspective. And I'm I'm a believer that the truth is in the aggregate. So if you ask one person their opinion of your game, it's it's gonna be their opinion. It's could be really good, could be really bad, but it's not really near the objective truth of it. But if you ask a hundred people about your game and then you average the result, you're getting closer to what your game really is to at least that small subsection of the market. Obviously, we can't have every gamer be a judge. That would be too hard to manage. So my goal is to get a lot of feedback for everyone. Do you have people coming back that have been, you know, successful or even kind of in some cases unsuccessful in making you aware that, you know, the game's kind of now been picked up by a publisher or they've gone at Kickstarter? I mean, do you sometimes see games... um, that you've judged that have gone on to kind of like be, be part of Kickstarter to be funded on Kickstarter as well? Uh, so far I have not. The So last year was the first year and we just started mm. in August. So it hasn't even been a full year since the announcement of the first contest. So yeah. I, I expect to see some moving on. Um, mm. Some are definitely close to finished and looking for Kickstarters or publishers. I know the, the winner of our contest last year, Calligraphy, is currently a finalist for the Cardboard Edison Award. So that is another step. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of them got really good feedback and they plan on moving forward with their designs, or they already have. But yeah, I haven't yeah. heard anything yet about anything going to Kickstarter. Okay, okay. But as I say, you never know because, you know, it could be a couple of months down the line, some people shelf ideas and come back to them kind of, you know, years later and dig it out once they've, you know, they've gone down a different, a kind of a different kind of route. Um, In terms of kind of, is there a type of, are the games that you're kind of looking at judge, are they going to be like relatively small? I mean, you mentioned kind of like, you know, button shy and things like that. And they generally, the curb, you know, even the cardboard Edison stuff, they generally don't go for, you're not going to find the next Eclipse kind of sitting there. So, but is there, I mean, if people are looking at submitting a game, I know they've got like less than a month, but you know, you will get some people that will just go for it. But is a general guideline that you would give to people who are considering submitting a game to you? So there's the contest itself. There's, there's two things to consider. There's the official rules and then there's what is going to work well. So the official rules are any board, dice, dexterity or card game 
that is unfinished and hasn't been crowdfunded is welcome to submit. Uh, it can be as rough an idea as you're just describing your game to your phone without showing us any components, or it could be a fully done thing that you've had printed up at the Game Crafter or somewhere, and it looks really nice, and it's ready to go to Kickstarter, although you can't go to Kickstarter during the contest. You have to wait till you're out. So <laughs> it runs the gamut of quality and stages in design. Um, yeah. But it can also run the gamut in size. It could be a micro game. It can be a massive multi-hour space opera. All are welcome. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the the contest itself does tend to skew towards lighter games because round one is a two-minute video. It's not impossible, but more difficult to get across something like Eclipse in a two-minute video. Oh, Although, yeah. if yeah. you do a really good video, you can do that. But, I mean, if you have a five-minute dexterity game, you can pretty much show every single aspect of that in a two-minute video. So, it does skew two lighter games. Um, the five finalists last year... I think they've ranged from like a 30 to 30 minute playtime to an hour. So we didn't have anything yeah. too big, but it also wasn't anything too quick. And they're like the entries though. We got, we got a ton of stuff. I think the longest, the longest game in round two had a playtime of 120 minutes. We got a few 90 minute ones uh, and then a lot of shorter ones. So I think, I think 12 minutes was the shortest and 120 was the longest that made it into round two. Is it? I mean, is it for you as a as a designer, as a kind of a somebody who's kind of doing it yourself? I guess is it exciting to see kind of like the number of, I guess the number of designers out there that are kind of trying to find their own path or try to get something kind of made and and stuff like that. Is that does that fill you with a lot of optimism for where the kind of the industry is going? Yes, it's. I mean, I enjoy design. I think at this point, I enjoy design more than published games to a degree. Like I said, I don't have time to really play published games, but just the act of playing unpublished games with designers and giving feedback and being able to help the growth of a project, it's a really nice mm-hmm. place to be. Um, like being able to give that feedback as opposed to just playing a game, you know, like, oh, I liked it. I didn't like it. But regardless, it's done. Um, so it's nice to be in that part. It's nice to see especially new designers coming in with their first idea. Actually, mm-hmm. for the the finalists last year, two of the games were first time designs, and they had made it that far, and they're they're well done. It was really exciting for them, and getting that sort of feedback on their first project is hopefully going mm-hmm. to keep them designing for years. Actually, almost almost all the finalists came back this year as judges, and then we had a bunch of judges from last year who are not judging because they're entering games. So we had a lot of crossover there because they enjoyed the process <laughs> so much, which I think is a good sign. <laughs> but it's. I really like the design community. It's uh, People always say that the board game community is very friendly. I'd say the design community yeah. is an even friendlier subsection of that because not only are you building a community and playing games, but by its very nature, you are helping each other like to a very deep level. So I think it builds very friendly, very helpful communities in game design, and it's, it's great to be a part of it. And, I mean, one of the things... I got a, a what I saw on social media recently was they were talking about the, I think it was a cardboard Edison kind of contest, and they were talking about kind of like, they were clear, you know talking about lack of kind of diversity, in kind of the, in the kind of the entries, 
do you think do you think there's do you think there's anything that can be done by that at all? I mean, do you think you could you can not um, you can get it to the point where everything is you know every, everybody is represented or everybody that wants to kind of enter um, should enter. I mean, do you think that? I mean, that seems to have become. I mean, everybody wants to, everybody to get involved in the hobby, and that's you know that's that's a fact. You know, the more people are involved in the hobby, the better. The more people that come from different backgrounds, I mean, we get more and more different kind of games and different kind of viewpoints. But you know, do you think it's as? Do you think it can be such a clear cut case of let's have? Let's encourage people in. Can you do, or will people just, you know, people who are going to design, are they going to design? And I'm not obviously trying to put words in your mouth or anything like that, but I'm just wondering how you feel about that. No, it's just, I was actually situation. just talking about this with someone uh, yesterday because you brought oh, right, up the fact okay. that, well, like there was the talk about the Cardboard Edison Award, which was, I was yeah, reading yeah. that, but he was looking at my list of judges and he's like, I noticed that you're only about 25% female and not many people of color which is true and it's something I want to work on but it's it's difficult for multiple reasons as as was brought up in the conversation about the cardboard edison award there are different social and financial limitations to being in this hobby it is a hobby that involves disposable time and income which mm-hmm. predominantly is not something available to a lot of women and people of color for a variety of socioeconomic reasons um, mm-hmm. And that is a very difficult thing to overcome and something that should be overcome, but it's, that is not a simple answer. But so I think that, that is one of the issues at play here. And then you're, you're shrinking the demographics that are in board gaming as a whole. And a subsection of those are going to go on to design and a subsection of those are going to go on to be involved in a contest. So you're, you're constantly making these cuts and at each level, you're, moving certain groups of people that can't be involved for various reasons. I think getting more marginalized people to enter contests, I think one re- one way to help that is to have them better represented in the judge pool, which yeah. again, is, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, so like, like I was saying, my judge pool currently is only 25% female, but it's 38 female presenting judges Instead of, I think Cardboard Edison had about eight because they, I think Cardboard Edison had less than 50 judges this year, less than 60, but I'm up to 138 judges. So percentage wise, it's not looking great, but overall numbers, there are a lot more women judging because there are a lot more people. Yeah. But I think one way I'm trying to make it easier for people to judge and thus get representation so that it's more interesting for people to enter is by making the judging process as easy as possible. Like I said, time yeah. time commitment is a really hard thing for a lot of people, especially if maybe you don't have a lot of free time to put into game design or judging. So it really does yeah. only take about five minutes to judge one entry. And if you can judge one entry, you're a judge. That That's all it takes. Obviously, yeah. we need to yeah. average judging more than one entry each if we want to get everything done. So I'm very happy for some judges like Anna Maria and Calvin who are going to try and judge every game this year too, although if we get too many, they might not make it. <laughs> So yeah. uh, we get a mix of the people that have have the time to put in a lot of work on it and people that just want to put in a little work. But even that little amount of work is that person being represented and 
showing that other people like them can do it. So I really encourage anyone who is interested in judging or entering to look into the contest. I try to make it as easy as possible. There's there's a $5 entry fee, which I'm happy to waive if that's an issue for anyone, because mm-hmm. this contest is not in any way about making the money. The money is just there to kind of keep the lights on for the website and yeah, yeah. organize things and stop people from just throwing a bunch of crap in, because if it's free to enter, some people just want to throw in 100 games. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I'm not trying to put you on blast or anything, Chris. I know it's it's a it's a difficult um it's a difficult um subject to kinda of tackle and you can't expect, you know, one person running, you know, one competition when there's so many other kind of competitions out there. Um Right, but to be able to, to wave a magic wand, you know. Yeah, yeah, That's, absolutely. So that brings up the, the other thought I have on this subject, which Again, I'm a white guy, so take this with a grain of salt. But I think that better outreach for marginalized communities comes from people within that community. I am not directly connected to these communities, so I can only I only have so much of a reach. So mm-hmm. I think people inside those communities that are interested need to reach out to those communities and help from the inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... it's... It's, as I say, it's a, there's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a complicated uh, question, and there's no kind of one, kind of, kind of direct answer. Um, in terms of the competition, kind of going forward and kind of expanding it, um, are you just kind of naturally, kind of organically, kind of just going to let it kind of grow as it is? Are you considering different ways of expanding the competition to have them kind of focused maybe on like a judging a bigger kind of box game and having them off to one side, you know, kind of allowing people to maybe who are thinking, because I, I think you're, you're right, I mean, there are kind of like your button shies and your cardboard edisons of this world and as you say, even your own games, the kind of the own competition, the kind of the, you end up kind of concentrating on the smaller games just by, you know, sometimes by default because of how easy it is to explain to them. Have you thought about kind of like saying, well, let's run the really big, silly, huge, big box competition of fun? And you, I'm copywriting that before you <laughs> steal it, just in case you consider doing that. Well, for for this year, one thing I was toying with, which I didn't implement, but perhaps next year, was mm-hmm. so I want to keep it as an open contest where all different types of games are competing. But Mm -hmm. I was thinking of when people submit their game, checking off a couple of categories, possibly by weight or time or mechanics, and just have some sort of categorization when they enter. And then round one, everyone would be judged as normal. But for getting into round two, it would be the highest rated two-hour game, the highest rated medium weight game, the highest rated dice game, plus the top... 15 or top 20 total to fill out round two. So mm-hmm. even if, say, you were 50th place, if you're the best dice game, you automatically get onto round two, which then in round two is it's a deeper judging. We look at rules and a how to play videos so you can get across your game better. And I think that might help games that do struggle with the two minute video, which is especially longer games or more complex games where it's hard to get things across. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's a possibility I might implement next year. <laughs> you probably will. 
you know, you've already said you're fairly impulsive. I'm surprised you're not going to have, like, you're not going to get off this kind of episode and just jump onto <laughs> Twitter and say, guys, I've had an epiphany. I mean, I was so you close know. to doing it this year. Like, I was writing up the categories, <laughs> but it's... Do it. It comes down to the difficulty of, like, how do you really do categorize it. your game? Like, especially by weight, which I think organizing by weight would be the best way to do this. But how do you, like, is your game a three or a four? How do you know? I mean, Chris, just game do it. has Come a on. thing. Just it's too late to do it this Twitter year. just now. Just announce it. Come on. Just do it. Just announce it. And you can deal with it later on. You it's, know. Too, it's too late. I already put it on the forms. Submissions are already open. I know, but you can add something. You can you 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 run the thing. You if can I put add something. It messes up the it messes up the spreadsheet. I can't do it. <laughs> you just add a lilac column. There's always a lilac column on a spreadsheet. <laughs> something. Nah, I um, I almost definitely will next year. I think because it's it really like that. really is an issue. Yeah, like, certain yeah. games just uh, fall out. And if you call it. Kind of the kind of the <laughs> if you do end up calling it kind of like the board game workshop big box board game of fun competition, yeah, I'll I'll hunt you down. I'm just saying, yeah, you're asking me to be a judge. I said yes. I'm saying if you nick this idea for this thing, we'll you work know, out a licensing agreement. It'll be fine. We, that'll be fine. Yeah. You can, you know, I want to, I want my own column on the spreadsheet. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, if, <laughs> if people are interested in kind of like getting involved, taking part, submitting an entry, how do they do it? Where can we find you on the internet, internet webs, Mr. Anderson? I sound like the Matrix, isn't it? <laughs> See, you're old enough to get that. I, I don't get that joke anymore. I used to a lot 15 years ago. Now, no, I work at a high no, school. None of the kids have ever seen The Matrix. But you have so, to sit them down and make them watch this. I mean, that's ridiculous. And then obviously, it's it's for your own kind of, I guess, self fulfilling, hurtful prophecy that then nothing all you'll get all day is "Hello, Mr. Anderson." Is that's all you'll get from now? On. I mean, I'm fine with but, that. Uh, I love The Matrix, so it's not a insult a at all. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, go to theboardgameworkshop.com. There's mm. a giant picture right on the front page it says the contest click on that it has all the information about judging and submitting uh there's even practice judging so if you're interested in being a judge but you don't know if you can handle it you can go and actually judge the five finalists from last year just as you would any game this year or if you're interested in submitting and you want to see what judges are going to do with your game you can go through the practice judging um one thing i'm trying to do with this is be very transparent so all of the information for judging and submitting are all public for anyone to see. So if you're submitting and you want to know how it's going to be judged, just look at the judge page. It's all there. Um, to be a judge, just have to fill out a form, and then I put you up on the website, and you can have your picture listed with the 138 other wonderful judges we have so far, possibly more because I get a couple signing up every day. Um, submissions are due April 21st by end of day, so make sure you get it in there. It's a $5 entry fee. Um, yeah, um, I'm very active on Twitter, so you can find yes. the podcast at the BG Workshop, and you can find me personally at BlueCubeBGS, and then also you can find my blog, BlueCubeBoardGames.com, and I write that uh, every Friday. Cool. What we'll do is we'll take those links and we'll put them in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. Um 
If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, go to the internet, search for We're Not Wizards. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and our website, we'renotwizards.com and our blog, we'renotwizards.blogspot.com. You can email us, which is magic at we'renotwizards.com. Yes, I am aware of the irony of the email address. That's why I chose it. Um, you can find us on Instagram and you know, we're on these podcast places like Stitcher and Speaker and Acast and Podknife and Podbean and Castpod and Podacast and whatever else. Anything that's got the name Pod and anything's got the name Cast in it. And we're also on Spotify, you know, and Google Podcasts as well. Um, if you like what you've listened tonight, there's two things you can do. Tell somebody else. That's nice. You know, recommend us. It's always lovely. And the second thing you can do is you can go to Apple Podcasts and you can give us a subscription because that makes sure that all the baby foxes are okay. Kind of. And the other thing you can <laughs> the other thing you can do is you can give us a rating or a review. I'm not threatening baby foxes, I like to point that out. It just came off the top of my head. I've no idea where it came from. Don't at me. Um uh, you can go and give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you are going to be giving us a rating or review. Don't give us 10 stars because it makes me big-headed. Um, but don't give us one star because it makes me cry. And I'm getting older. And the older I get, the uglier I cry. Give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average. And we're just a little bit average. But the person who has not been average tonight is a rather wonderful, rather fantastic the competition running board game idea designing man that is Mr. Chris Anderson. Thank you very much. It's so weird to listen to you in real time because I listen to podcasts at triple speed. <laughs> it's It must be. But I can talk really fast if you want to. <laughs> There's only two more things to do. <laughs> Just mess this up for you. It's <laughs> only two more things to do. The first thing to say is remember that we are many things we're always are we always express. Never, never once. Fantastic. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So I could slow it down so it's there. Next thing is to say goodbye, Chris. Good say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye. <laughs> That'll sound normal to me when I listen to this. That'll be fantastic. And the <laughs> And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, uh, stay safe, roll sixes, and um you got time you know, if you've got that bit of cardboard, that collection of cardboard sitting there and you're thinking about, you know what, I should really do something with this and you've got a phone and you can make a little video and you can make it for two minutes, then you can get in contact with Chris. And you can enter into the competition and you never know unless you try. But until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late.
is he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. 